plays with Texas players. Welcome to yet another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, uh, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I am doing great, Parker. Not in the least because my former boss is here. Your former boss and our friend, uh, Matt Jennings, is our special guest tonight. Matt Jennings is, of course, the vigilante TCU uh, football writer, uh, RIP Diehards. Uh, Matt, thanks for being here tonight. We're happy to have you, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's going to be great. Uh, I was thinking about like what to title this episode and uh, I ultimately am settling on something like hot damn I think they're actually going to play because the last couple days has been uh, a little bit tumultuous if you will. So uh, yeah Grant what, what is our news for the Big 12 today and let's talk about how we feel about it. The news is that the Big 12 is going to have a football season as of uh, 7.22 p.m. Central Time August 12th the Big 12 is going to have a football season. Uh Teams will play one game out of conference if they want. Uh, after that, they're going to go to a round-robin, nine-game Big 12 season, uh, play every team of the conference once, one true champion. And the Big 12 is going to thumb its nose at the Big 10 and Pac-12 and going to have a daggum uh, slate of games, as far as I know. That, that they are. Uh, and it was a little bit dicey. I think on Monday morning, I resigned myself to there being no football. But um, we're, I mean, we're here, and uh, you know things could change at the drop of – uh, a tweet even. So who, who knows mm-hmm. what's going to happen there, but it looks like we're going to have some schedules uh, going forward. Um, so Matt, what do you think? This has kind of been like a roller coaster of a summer. What do you think about the Big 12's plan? Do you think it is, uh, how do you think it's going to affect kind of big picture what the conference looks like this fall, but also just on a, on a basic level, man, like how does this affect football at all? Yeah, it's a, it is a super, weird situation that we find ourselves in that basically two or or two yeah two of the power five conferences were like now we're not doing this and then the other three were like but but actually we are and um it's gonna be really really weird um the uh, i i have no idea what to expect um i i will say i am you know super nervous for um for all the for all the players um i hope I think it's really going to be like the wild, wild west in terms of which um, which schools are doing stuff the right way as best they can, and which schools, uh, in terms of protecting, doing their best to protect players from um, from COVID nineteen. And as we already have seen during this off season, some schools are doing a great job, and some schools aren't. And TCU being notoriously um, opaque with the media means that we really have no idea what they're doing. So that's its own thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my, my running guess at this moment, we're going to talk about the schedule and we'll, and I will happily give us a prediction on if the whole schedule gets played, what I think, but my, my running theory right now is the big 12 is going to get like three weeks into the season and then have to either postpone, shut down, do something. Cause I just, I'm really, I mean, we're seeing what's happening with major league baseball right now trying to not do a true bubble and have teams travel and play each other at home and away. And, and it, you got whole, you got games getting suspended. You got whole teams being, uh, being quarantined. And I just, I don't see how that's going to work better in a less regulated environment in college football. So, um, 
it's going to be interesting. That's the short. Yeah, it, it's definitely, definitely going to be interesting. Yeah. And I think I saw that they had a modification built in that like they could bump the season to October 1st if they needed to, which right. just in the grand scheme of like, Oh, you're actually thinking about contingency plans was kind of nice to say like, okay, there's been at least some thought into this. If it, you know, <laughs> without, without, you know, re- restraining value judgments about like whether it is a good plan or, or all that stuff. Um, so, so well, it is nice to see a little bit of that. That was the weird part was that when the Big Ten canceled, all the, you know, a, a lot of people smarter than me and more plugged in than me, national journalists were like, well, okay, you know, Monday, the Big Ten, or over the weekend, the Big Ten started to talk about what it would be like if football was played in the spring. And I'm like, you're just having these conversations now. What were we doing for the last five months? That's I the have thing no that's idea. The most frustrating about this whole thing is, um, you know, I know we were all way more optimistic about mm-hmm. where the pandemic would stand um in when we were having these conversations in april i understand that um but if you're uh, a power five conference especially all the all the college uh, college football conferences but the power five especially where everyone's going to take their cues from you and you're an administrator you're you're a school president you're an ad in those conferences you you got to be forming your contingency plans and 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 forming your very rigorous protocols and, and, and planning out the logistics of what that looks like and the power five since you're this you're this group of autonomous conferences where you can kind of do whatever the heck you want you should be meet you the, the heads of those leagues should have been meeting in april and may saying like okay if we need to delay if we need to if we need to play in the spring if we need to try and create a bubble or or, or five bubbles and those were conversations that should have been happening in april and instead at least the public perception is wait, we only just thought about the possibility of delaying it in the last week and a half? Like it's, it's, it is a, it's a, it's an absolute just dumpster fire. And that's the frustrating thing. I think the frustrating thing, I think for most college football fans right now. Yeah. And, and, and it's almost like there's a, um, you know, not to get too, too nerdy here, but it's, if you're thinking of in terms of like game theory, there's almost a first mover disadvantage in who decides what first. And so I feel like this summer we heard a lot of, you know, like, an AD texted me and they are going to do this plan. And a lot of ADs were like afraid to announce, Hey, we're thinking about this. Instead, they just floated rumors and saw the reaction and said, Oh wait, that's a bad idea. And so, um, you know, there is this first mover disadvantage and it feels like uh, the big 10 and the PAC 12 made a huge mistake here just by being the first ones to say, Nope, there's no way we can possibly do this. And that's a, you know, a failure of, of they didn't think about it earlier or they didn't. Yeah. I I don't know what it is, but I think this ends up in us getting a um, a, a, a Power Five coalition. Um, I think this ends up with something like the College Football Playoff Committee just becoming the College Football Oversight Committee. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know how long it takes to the NCAA dam is going to break, but if you remember in the early the late tens, they were they challenged like Florida State on their um, nickname and got beat pretty badly. You look at UNC and Ole Miss as examples of where the NCAA tried to push in and they said, uh, no, that's not happening. Um, and so um, I, I wonder, you know, at what point we get to, okay, Power Five conferences have had enough of the NCAA, and it's kind of like it, it's creating an inefficiency. And, and if they don't just abdicate and go to uh, some sort of like college football playoff oriented ESPN conglomerate central authority in college football. Well, and I wrote a column about this um, for the Azel News and Springtime Epigraphs. So if you're one of the 100, 10 people that subscribe to those papers, feel free to check it out. But really, and I think other people have made this point too. Um, you know, it, 
all this COVID stuff is happening and, and these conferences are, you know, talking about playing or not playing and all that at the same time that players are also speaking up for their rights and their rights to their names, their rights to the ability to speak freely on matters that they care about, social justice initiatives, um, all that. And they're doing that as a reaction to the fact that there is no leadership at the top, as you mentioned, that the NCAA has been historically weak and has shown that even more in recent months by not taking a definite stand on a lot of issues, by not creating a plan, a universal plan for their constituent universities to move forward. And all this stuff is hitting at once. And it's a reaction to the fact that, you know, at present, you know, the the emperor has no clothes. There is no one centralized power governing college football. And you're right, Parker, I wouldn't be surprised if a conglomerate or some sort of coalition comes out of this just to make sure that, you know, the big 10 and the PAC 12 don't make the same. It's, it's, I hesitate to call it a mistake, but the same, kind of rash move that they made on Monday or, or Tuesday without the voice of the other conferences. An, an error of timing. You're right. Mistake. I, yes. I really want to refrain from normative. normative. I, I, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Uh, also, as I've long said, Kirby Hocutt should have more power over college football. So this is unequivocally a good thing. Yeah. I, I <laughs> gotta, that's not where I thought that was going. <laughs> um, no, I think on the NCAA issue, um, I think the NCAA, it's, it's a weird tension because Colleges want the NCAA to be able to flex authority over um, over their counterparts when when they don't like what their counterparts are doing. But the weird thing is the NCAA also has exactly as much power as the member institutions want it to have, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why you see um, the the like total like abandonment of trying to do anything in the case of UNC or in the case of Baylor, um, because the NCAA is only going to be able to flex as much power as the member schools are willing to have them flexed on them in that instance. Right. And so um, there's an amount of autonomy that um, the schools don't want to give up and uh, they want to be able to free to make, be free to make their own decisions, which means the NCAA doesn't have teeth really to say everyone, Hey, here's what our COVID-19 protocol is going to be, which is why you did need that leadership again in April and May from uh, certainly from the power five to say like hey guys let's all get together let's create a plan together and instead it's and instead it's been the a response that mirrors kind of the response that we've had in this country which is that there's no leadership from the top and so everyone's kind of left to their own devices to decide what they want to do and everyone waits and waits and waits hoping that someone above them is going to make the call for them and then suddenly they that call is theirs to make and then everyone's in a panic. Um, for the record, I don't think, like just, just being straight up, I think what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are trying to do, let's set aside trying to get teams to play two football seasons in a single year. That's its own separate discussion. But in terms of just like saying like, we don't feel comfortable playing in the fall, is that probably the most responsible choice in the current climate? I think so. Again, because you didn't make plans four right. months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's the right choice, honestly. Am I gonna be? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch the Big Twelve and the SEC when they start playing in six weeks. Yes, but am I? Do I think it's smart? Probably not. But that's its own discussion. <laughs> can I? Can I float something out there? Uh, and then, and then we'll we'll pivot and drill down and talk about TCU and then get to the schedule here. But I think again, we are suspending any normative comments. I am not making a judgment about whether this is right or wrong. I'm just talking about the strategy of this. I think a lot of schools really messed up by as soon as stuff got shut down. Not saying like, okay, 
extended training camp, every player get on campus right now, you're in the bubble because they waited for a long time. And then you open yourselves up to these conversations about like amateurism and everything. And they're Mm -hmm. talking about what they could pay the NBA to do, but you can't pay college players to do it. And I think again, uh, if, if any, you know, college and and I, I think Alabama has done this. I think Clemson's probably done this. I think Lincoln Riley's probably ahead of the game on this too at Oklahoma, which is saying like, Hey, uh, get to campus right now, get here, get safe. We're all together and we'll get out in front of this thing. I think a lot of people made the mistake of not bubbling early on, which meant that they couldn't bubble later because they had kind of opened the, the Pandora's box of the amateurism conversation and the demands and everything. So I think that's a strategic error on the part of most of the schools as well. I agree. I also want to point something out because I agree with both of you and have nothing new to add to the conversation. North Carolina did nothing <laughs> wrong, and I am tired of the slander that both of you have been throwing on the Tar Heels for the last 10 minutes. I think uh, that's, what they got in, that's what they got in trouble for was doing nothing, though. So That's correct. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, okay, so before we get to the schedule, um, Matt, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time because you, like me, are a uh, – it's fair to say you're a TCU offense skeptic. And uh, we, we diverge very slightly in that I am more of a Sonny Cumbie skeptic, but you have a little bit of a different take. So why don't you kind of talk about your take on the TCU offense, the state of the TCU offense in 2019, and then I'll ask you about the new hires. Sure, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to finally be on because Parker messaged me on Twitter in like December and was like, hey, do you want to call on the podcast? And I was like, sure. And he's like, okay, it'll be after the holidays. And then and now it's August. Um, it was after the holidays. <laughs> it is, okay. He didn't lie. After I did holiday. not say which holiday. Uh, <laughs> after also, Arbor Day. Also, man, every, like, like for the entirety of January and February, Grant and I would text each other like twice a week and be like, hey, should we talk about the podcast? Yeah, we'll get to it next week. And we just like kicked the can for months on getting back into getting our groups. Right. So, so you're like a, you're like a, a power, uh, you're like power five conference commissioner or a state. Yeah. yeah we're just training for that. Yeah. yeah. You, you guys are yeah. just taking, you know, taking their lead, uh, following their lead, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we've all, all three of us have had these conversations offline. So let's just have them. Let's just have it uh, in front of people now. Um, yeah. I was, on the Sonny Cumbie thing, because I know we've all, I think we've all been very vocally critical of Cumbie and his time at, uh, certainly over the last year and a half, two years at, at TCU. Um, I do think there's a really important distinction to make, though, in terms of when we're leveling criticisms about the way the offense has looked. And I, and I, I think Cumbie deserves a little bit more benefit of the doubt than maybe he gets. I say that, I, I, for the record, I say that as someone who was like, he probably needs to get fired at the end of last year. Like that was where I was standing. Um, so I want that to be very, I, I'm not saying like he's done a, a spectacular job over the last two years, but I will say this. I think it's really hard to do a good job when leadership is asking you to do something that you're not good at and not comfortable with. And I think that's really been the story of the TCU offense over the last two years. Um, and really, really longer than that. Let me, Let's go on a journey, guys. Let's, Let's take a trip. It. Let's do it. Let's take a trip back to 2016. How about that? So TCU's coming off like two just all-time offensive seasons with Boykin and Dotson and Aaron Green and just looking great. And then they come out in 2016 with Kenny Hill, and they have flashes of looking really good, and they have flashes of looking really bad. They're just inconsistent. Um, they still end up, I think, with a top 40 offense and offensive S&P Plus, so still like on the whole pretty good. But the rumblings coming out of TCU at the end of that year were – 
that Gary wasn't happy. He wanted to make a change. And from what I can tell, my kind of reading of the situation was that Gary wanted to play more ball control. Doug Meacham said no. And the order of what happened next is unclear, but either he said, look, either you change or I'm going to make Comey the play caller or um, Meacham just left voluntarily. It's really un unclear, but it was clear that Cumbie was more willing to compromise a little bit and work with Gary on what he wanted to do, which is fine because then you get 2017 and you got a team full of seniors and you got a ton of talent running back and uh, Kenny Hill's a senior and he's gotten better. And An amazing offensive line. You got a great offensive line. And so you can be a little bit more run oriented. You can be a little bit more, um, a little, a little slower in your tempo, but because you've got a team that's being super efficient, that's totally fine. Then what happens the next, the, the next two years is you don't have a senior quarterback who's, because uh, you had Sean Robinson, then you have Max Duggan, um, who's super comfortable in the offense. And, um, and, and so Gary's having a panic attack. This is the way I'm visualizing it. Gary's having a panic attack about a freshman quarterback throwing three interceptions in the game and, his, and having to defend from his own 30 every other drive. And so what I think happened the last two years is Gary has leaned on Cumbie and said, Hey, we need to slow it down. Hey, we need to not put the ball at risk. Right. And so you take away, what are the two key components of the air raid, right? It's pace and it's space. And so if you say, Hey, slow down, cause I don't want my defense to get gassed because we're on the field all the time. Well, guess what? That's half of your air raid offense gone. Your the defenses you're facing. The reason you go fast is so that, your uh, the opposing defenses are gassed. They can't substitute. They have to play more vanilla. None of those things are true anymore. And so you have a well-rested defense, a defense that can sub, and a defense that can call the exact right play call for the exact right situation. And then add on top of that, you're saying, we don't want to turn the ball over. So stop throwing to the middle of the field. Have you all noticed how much TCU has thrown almost exclusively outside the numbers in the passing yes. game in the last two years yes. it's an out route it's a screen it's a come it's it's a it's a curl it's a go route almost except, exclusively except on touchdown plays which is really weird very very odd uh, and so gary's because you've heard gary say it before when you're thrown over the middle that's where he has concern for his quarterback because he knows as a defensive guy, okay. that's where his guys get those turnovers, right? Which is the ghost of Kenny Hill imprinted upon this program <laughs> because I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't know that Kenny Hill has 20-20 vision. Uh, he had some over the middle of throws that were just insane. Um, and okay, that's like well, a hold huge on, hold on. Oh, go ahead. Hold on. I just want to point this out. This is not about to be the roast of Kenny Hill. Kenny Hill was a good quarterback. Kenny Hill was good and Ken underutilized. Yes, I'm there. He was good and underutilized. That's not where I had the problem with Kenny Hill. I never saw an out route from Kenny Hill that I thought was going to be completed. And I go back to the Iowa State game where he threw oh. that pick uh, right in front of the end zone on an out route. That's where I have issues with Kenny Hill, <laughs> not necessarily on his balls over the middle. But well, that's, that, that's more that's more philosophical. And and Matt, I'm, I'm derailing a little bit, but I I agree generally with your synopsis. But I just have some questions to like kind of poke into that of like. What is the Cumby offense? Think about how many times, you know, they ran a, a fade to uh, anyone on the outside over sure. and over again, like, for, like first down run in the red zone and then two fades and then, oh, darn, guess we're kicking a field goal. Or how many times do they throw a 15-yard in to Kevontae Turpin, who is four foot nothing in the middle of three safeties? And so I think that 
what you said earlier was salient about how when, when you're asked to do something that you're not good at or comfortable with, um, that's where you get into trouble. And I'm actually going to zoom out and I think making Sonny Cumbie the primary play caller is where that stage of discomfort comes from because there is some serious tweaks that other air raid schools are doing, working within their limitations. And it appears that Sonny Cumbie does not know how to adapt appropriately other than to, to, to hit his head against the wall with the same kind of place. Um, and so I think that, I think that, you know, especially seeing Sean Robinson and what his skill set was and what Cumbie wanted his skill set to be. And then very similar with like, with Max Duggan, um, I think those are more of the issues. It, it's it, it, you're right about the quarterback instability. You're right about Gary leaning in a little bit, I think. Um, and, and Gary has absolutely flawed logic, which is kind of part of all of this too, is like, the, Gary's logic about the offense is just flat out wrong. Um, you know, you can look at that at numbers. You can look at that by looking at what good teams are doing. But if you are playing not to lose on offense, you are um, you are not you're you're not going to win. Right. And um, go ahead. No, I I I think you're right. But I I do think I don't think Cumbie's a lot. This is kind of a moot point because the rumblings we're hearing out of the building now is that Cumbie is not going to be the the primary play caller this season. That now that Doug Meacham is back, which I know we'll talk about the hires in a minute, but that it sounds like Doug Meacham is going to be taking over that role. So this may be much ado about nothing, but I will say I, the part of the reason I have a little bit of um, uh, sympathy or, or uh, we'll, we'll back up Cumbie in the, in this regard is that we do have evidence of him calling plays and it going well. And that's 2017. Mm -hmm. And that was, in my opinion, before it was really, really obvious that Gary was just like pushing this ball control um, philosophy really hard, right? Because he didn't need to, because again, he, he had more trust in Kenny Hill because he was a eighth year senior at whatever point he was. And so, um, and, and, and that would make me, that makes me at least kind of understand like, Hey, he's not inept, not completely mm -hmm. inept. Right. But I, I, it goes back to that whole thing. Like once you're getting told, Hey, this offense and this is one of, this is the thing that comes down to me, come down to for me with Cumbie, which is that this is a guy who was a Mike Leach quarterback. He was an assistant with Cliff Kingsbury. He was, a, he was an assistant with Doug Meacham. The only guy that, the only thing this guy's ever known is the air raid. The idea that he would voluntarily just throw out kind of the bones of the offense and really the, the again, those primary themes of pace and space just because without any prompting, doesn't just that that theory doesn't hold water for me, which is why I I, I tend to lean more towards blaming Gary because I do think I think Meacham's a better play caller on the whole, but I think there's again I think there's a body of work to suggest that Cumbie if he's allowed to do what he wants to do or do what he's comfortable with, then you can at least have some level of success. You know I compare it to if um you know if you're right-handed. And your boss comes to you at work and says, hey, look, I'm going to ask you to do all your, turn in all your work left-handed now. Like, could you figure out how to do it if you worked hard enough at it and, and, and tried for long enough? You could probably get passable at it, but it's never going to be as good. It's never going to be as natural. And that's how I view Cumbie being asked to kind of do this offense the way he's been asked to do the last couple of seasons. He's got major failings as a situational play call. That's another conversation, but sorry. No, 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 no. That's completely fair. And, and I think a lot of this boils down to, so I, I lean a little bit probably more towards Matt than Parker on this, just in terms of giving Cumbie a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But I think a lot of the years where TCU was successful, you look at you know, 2015, 2017, we've talked about, there was talent on the field and there was also good talent um, 
on the sidelines as well, helping and assisting Cumbie. So transitioning a bit to the new hires, Jerry Kill's not an air raid guy. You know, I know he's not going to be on the field, but, but he, as the offensive a guru assistant, whatever title they're calling him. And then obviously Meacham, uh, you're very good Apple White from Colorado State. Uh, I'm, I'm curious as to how both of y'all think, you know, the new hires are going to affect Cumbie's play calling and the overall, you know, uh, ethos of the TCU offense. Well, I'll say uh, just before, you know, Grant, we'd said last week, and I almost made this the episode title, but I decided to keep some decency. We said, you know, don't, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. And, and TCU <laughs> should whole-ass the air raid. And so um, I, I, kind of, I kind of think it's weird that they didn't make an actual change at the top, and then they brought in a guy who is known for, like, his rushing off- – if, if he's known for offense, he's known for, like, his rushing offense in kill. And so I think this is entirely organizational. I would be surprised if, if kill really has much to do with what's on the field other than, hey, here are your stated goals. Here's where you're not meeting them. Um, like, I don't think Jerry Kill is going to have the whiteboard and stuff just because that would be really odd schematically with what – you know, Meacham and Cumbie offer. But I, I wonder if there's not a bit of um, opportunistic management with uh, there being a lot of personalities. I, I, I have no inside information. This is not reporting anything. Things were weird when Doug Meacham left in 2016, as Matt alluded to earlier. Yep. And so things were weird on the sideline last year between Cumbie and Patterson. And so I think Kill is a lot more of a uh, – a bomb than he is a, mediator. a strategic weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense because I, I agree. I, I don't think you have these two, the, the, not the, the, the two, like the headline hires, not the Applewhite hire, but the, the headline hires of bringing in Meacham and bringing in Kill. Like those are the things that people that kind of draw your eye in the off season, right? And, and they're two just so, to Parker's point, are just two very different styles. And so which one of those are going to be the one that, um, really kind of defines where the offense goes. And I think that makes a lot of sense what you're saying, Parker, in that, um, you know, Kill's last job at Virginia Tech was more of the kind of an advisory role. He has a really good uh, personal relationship with Gary Patterson. And so I think it comes across way more as him being there to kind of facilitate the discussion and, and um, help everybody get on the same page. I, I will say, I, I think bringing back Meacham, um, unless I'm totally misreading the situation, it comes across as Gary finally, to some degree, conceding that his, his ball control style that he's really emphasized the last couple of years just isn't going to work, um, at least not the way he wants it to. Because Doug Meacham is a guy who, you listen to any interview he's ever given, um, look at what he was tweeting in December before he got hired. This is a guy who believes in the air raid, like, as much probably the only people who believe in it more probably how mommy and Mike Leach in terms of like unfiltered do the pure version that's his thing right and so um I don't think you bring in a guy like that unless you're I don't think that guy would consent to being brought back if he wasn't given assurances that he's going to be able to run the offense he wants to run he wants to run it the way he wants to right so that to me signaled okay Gary understands that something's got to change Sonny is comfortable again it seems like he's comfortable kind of stepping back a little bit from that play calling role and just doing um and and being another voice in the room and being and being working with the quarterbacks but you know it seems a little bit like uh a Joe Brady situation I don't think Doug Mason's on the level of Joe Brady but a similar situation with LSU last year is that maybe he doesn't have the title but he has the responsibility is what it looks like to me and I think that's a good choice is it the most 
creative choice you could have gone could you have, could you have gotten somebody who maybe like link uh from the lincoln riley tree or, or someone who has learned from him who maybe can uh, add some other aspects to the offense you know some some uh, add some interesting wrinkles to the run game that oklahoma's done recently rather than just being like we're gonna run inside zone outside zone like okay i know parker that i'm gonna get you on a tirade if i if we talk about that too much but um but on the whole it, it's better than no move at all so i'm you know i'm cautiously optimistic about what it means i am too and i will say this real quick just to interject and this is the point i made before i think Cumby stepping back is a good thing, not only in regards to his play calling ability, but the fact that I do trust him to develop quarterbacks. Um, I, I do think he knows what he's talking about there. So the ability to kind of offload play calling or offensive, you know, strategy stuff like that, um, share the load with Meacham, and to be able to like work with Max Duggan and get him in the system and make sure to work with him, like that is only going to be a plus for TCU. I've said that before, and I, I, I still stand by it. Yeah, I, I think if you look at Cummy's body of work with the quarterbacks at TC. You've obviously got Trevon Boykin um, and the leap that he made in his first year under Cumby. You had Kenny Hill after a time of transition, after one year, that little shake year, developing into let's it needs to be stated, the most efficient quarterback at TCU ever by completion percentage, right? Like is no one has a higher completion percentage in the history of TCU football than Kenny Hill. Let's make that in a single season. Like that's a, that's something that I don't think we talk about enough. Um, mm-hmm. And then Max Duggan, you could see um, certainly flashes last year. I think Sean Robinson, because of the injuries and because of um, just some other stuff um, going on uh, off the field that have been just – you never know exactly every, uh, the, the, true, the full truth of things, but some of the, the rumblings I – like, I keep using that phrase come in this podcast. It's my, it's my key phrase at this podcast. But the rumblings coming out of the building were that, like, maybe he wasn't um, putting in the work uh, in the film room the way he needed to, which is odd because he's a, he's a coach's kid. But um, and, and, and but so on the whole, and then on the whole, the, the three major starting quarterbacks, you, you feel pretty good about what he's done, what Cumbie's done with those guys. He managed to get Grayson Milstein to win uh, a, a, a game with bowl eligibility down the line. And then even in the game where he throws like four okay. interceptions, they still win the Cheez-It Bowl somehow. Like- point, of, point of information, the mule was three now. And, and, okay, the TCU offense was so delightfully weird and it was out of necessity. Yes. Like, dude, okay. How could you game plan for the mule like this to get the ball in your best player's hands? And you have Max Duggan who is, you know, uh, well, a million times zero is zero, but he's a million times better than the mule. (laughs) And you can't figure out a way to make it so that he's not running for his life on third and long. Like literally 2019, the Max Duggan offense was run, throw a deep pass that's going to be incomplete and have no chance of completion and then run a lot of deep routes so that Max can scramble and maybe extend a third down. Um, and it's just like, I, that is infuriating to me. Um, it is. It, okay. Thank you. For Before we go down this road, before we go down this road, because we do need to talk about the schedule, Matt, I want to give you the opportunity since we've already arrived here. Uh, this is a recurring segment that we have on this podcast. Uh, Matt Jennings, uh, say nice things about Max Duggan, please. <laughs> Um, I will say, okay, so Max Duggan, um, I think showed serious flashes of potential last year. I think, again, going back to the theme of this conversation, I think when TCU kind of had no choice but to open up the offense, 
the results for Max Duggan were good because they were playing from behind for so much. Now there's a chicken or egg thing. Like, is it because SMU and Iowa State in the second half of those games were playing a whole bunch of prevent? So maybe that is part of the reason that he looked really good in the second half of those games. But um, when TCU finally said, screw it, like we're going to fling it around, we're going we're gonna to use the full width of the field, we're going to use his running ability instead of, um, instead of we're just going to throw um, a really predictable out route and go route and uh and screen and succession um things when they when they open things up like that things got better so I, I think there's reason for hope I think the the fact that he was able to make something out of really nothing with the offensive line situation that he had I was good um so the, I, I stand by what I said back when things were going around at draft time and 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 there's a love anonymous NFL scout season and there's some anonymous NFC guy who was like, oh, Rager's quarterback last year was the worst quarterback, like either in the history of college football or that I've ever seen. I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it's just, I stand by what I said then, which is that he's not the worst quarterback ever. He's also yet to put a full game together where he looks good for four quarters. And I need to see that before I'm like 100% on the train. He looked really good in the second half against Texas, really good in the first half against Texas Tech second half against SMU like he's had he's had stretches I need to see four quarters before I'm like all the way on but I mean I think there's definitely good things to work with there I would uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about where where the offense can go with him at the helm I will say um, in in the realm of the offense what we're talking about with diversifying the run game a little bit I'd love for them to just like truly like make half make half of their inside and outside zone plays make add a read tag on it where it's just like let him let him let him read the defensive end and run for six yards you know every single single inside zone and outside zone should have a read tag okay i don't understand why this is so hard how many times have i texted you this exact phrase grant Every zone read should have a pass tag. I'm, I'm saying even get, yes, get weirder. Yes, go tag, to the screen. Tag. Oh, my God. I'm going to yell. I'm not going to yell. It's fine. We're, okay, we're not going to yell. We're not going to yell. Parker, Parker, let's take it down. Uh, yes. Can you give me the, the uh, uh, expected points or uh, uh, value added on the run on the ground? Don't pass uh, Jalen Hurts um, and Max Duggan. Okay. The speed option, for instance, uh, against Oklahoma, when it was kind of like, okay, we're throwing up our hands. We don't know what to do. Or the speed option in the red zone multiple times. The Oklahoma State game was just beautiful. Um, and so I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Um, the other thing that I was going to say in that moment is that you forgot to mention the best drive of TCU's entire season, which was the uh, eight play, 80 yards, end of half drive against Texas in the first half where TCU just ran stick eight times in a row mm-hmm. and literally just threw it to the open receiver and gained eight yards every play. And you're like, okay, maybe we should be thinking about this. Um, so uh, they didn't score on that drive. Um, okay, I could, <laughs> there. I could wax poetic about the TCU offense, uh, and by waxing poetic, I mean yell and scream for hours, and we are close to doing that. So let's just totally pivot and talk about this weird Big 12 schedule. So I'm just going to read it out from start to finish, um, and then we can talk about some, uh, you know, some points of emphasis. We could talk about TCU's magic number, what games are going to be hard. Um, but here we go. So TCU starts the season uh, with Tennessee Tech at home and then Iowa State at home. They go to Texas. They go. Uh, they have Kansas State at home. They have a bye week. Then they have Oklahoma at Baylor versus Texas Tech 
at West Virginia, at Kansas, and then Oklahoma State at home on Saturday, December 5th. So um, a, a full conference slate there, you know, the home and away is um, the same, a little bit of rejiggering of the order. Um, but uh, overall, what are our impressions about the way this broke down, about where the bye week is? Um, interesting enough, Grant, I had a really good question last week about like, how would you want to schedule it? So I'd be interested in your mm-hmm. thoughts about that, given our answers last week, Grant. Well, I think this shakes out pretty well for TCU. I, I, I think so having Oklahoma State at the end is something that, that we talked about last week in terms of when do you want them, right? So when is uh, Spencer Sanders going to be you know, ready? When is he going to have you know, all, all those feet under him? I know you, Parker, correct me if I'm wrong, wanted Oklahoma State early so that Sanders wouldn't, have a, 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 you know, wouldn't be able to be in, in, in the flow state by, by December 5th by the end of the year. But I think this is a pretty favorable slate for TCU. Um, you get – Two games that are winnable at home, Iowa State and Kansas State. You're at Texas, and that's, you know, okay, you know, Texas is going to be good this year, but TC always plays Texas tough. Okay, maybe you lose that game. Oklahoma, you get them at home. You know, it, we'll see where Spencer Rattler is by that point, but you probably call that a loss. Then at Baylor is winnable. Texas Tech at home is winnable. At West Virginia, at Kansas are winnable. At the very least, you're probably rolling into the Oklahoma State game with three straight wins, depending on your feelings about Neil Brown and West Virginia. So, like, at the very least, they'll have momentum heading into the end of the year uh, for that big game. So I, I, I do think this, this really plays into TCU's hands. Yeah, you know, I, I can see that. I think that early stretch is going to reveal a lot of – that early stretch of the Big 12 schedule is going to really reveal a lot of things. Because you get – I agree. I agree. You get at home against Iowa State, against the, against the best quarterback in the Big 12 returning in, 20, in 2020. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot come on my podcast and troll me like that. Get out of here. I'm not trolling you. I actually think – Get out of this Zoom. Right Sam Ellinger, I'm just telling you. That's, that's, that's I will say I that TCU starts off with the two, of the two of the best. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I thought you were saying that Brock Purdy – I thought you were intentionally referencing – that Brock Purdy is the best quarterback in the. In no, the that's game. what he's saying. Oh no, that's, that's exactly saying. what I'm. Oh, that is no. exactly okay. what I'm You're saying. Wrong. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no that's no. exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I I I do think he's better than Sam Ellinger. I just saw your conversation with Jeff earlier today. TCU gets. Uh, TCU does get two the perhaps the two best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve in their first yeah, two years. Sure. But you get Brock Purdy. Um, you get a John Heacock defense, which has given TCU fits um, the whole time that he's been there. Um, you go and play in Austin. Um, which playing in Austin is not in itself a, a difficult thing. It's the team that you will no. be playing when you are there. Um, and then the, the climbing cats on October 10th, uh, they, you sh- they show what they can do against you last year. Uh, that's a really well coached team. I like what they've got. I, I like what they're building there. That's a hard game. Then you get a bye. Then you get Oklahoma at home. Like those four games, I think are, if you can get out of those four games, again, if we get that far into the season, um, mm-hmm. again, I'm, <laughs> I'm skeptical that that happens, but let's just say in an ideal world, that's what happens. Um, if, if you can make it out of those games two and two, I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Um, just, just being straight up. Um, well, and, and, and if, if that happens, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but if, if that happens, you're basically calling it. So with a smaller schedule, who knows what TC would have done against SMU this year, right? And who, who knows what they would have done against Cal, but, but let's be charitable and say, TC wins both those games, okay, in, these, in this non-existent universe. You're saying they go you – know, if they go two and two, let's say they beat Tech, beat West Virginia, beat Kansas, right, and then you have those two wins. So, so you're basically calling TCU a nine and three or eight and four team in a regular year. And I think that's fine. Like I think that's kind of where I would have pegged them 
I think I think a lot of TCU fans would love to see that. I I, I think right. I think I think everyone's really tired of the fighting for bowl eligibility in December. Um, and I think if you could just give them a nine-win season for once in the Big Twelve, I think everyone would be actually honestly be very happy. Again, since you only got a ten-game schedule this year, uh, not going to happen. I, I I do like this alternate timeline you created where Loki escaped escaped with the Tesseract. Grant, I'm really interested to hear more about it. Um, but anyways. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the magic number conversation is interesting because, uh, you know, we'll go through and we'll say on paper win or loss just because that's fun and stupid later. So we won't do that right here. But you start to think about like, okay, what is the minimal acceptable outcome this year to demonstrate that TCU's hires offensively worked, Max Duggan is taking a step forward, accounting for the talent you have on defense and how that's going to be some turnover after this year. Um, in the form of, of uh, Merrigan Wallow and, and uh, among others. Um, and so I, I kind of said like seven and five is like the floor for, hey, things might be getting better. If, you know, you have a couple close losses and, and not, a, not as many close wins. Um, but so looking at this 10 game schedule, I, I mean, it feels like, it feels like six might be a lot. I think that six kind of becomes this line, which is weird because that's, mm-hmm. you know, one more than taking those other two games away. But I feel like, I feel like six and four is the floor of, hey, maybe things are working versus, oh, we're just writing this out for the last couple of years of the past. If TCU goes five and four in the Big 12 this year, I will call it a success. And I think, and, and, and I also think that's doable. And that's not me being a Pollyanna. I, I, I do think, the way the schedule is shaken out, I do think five and four is an achievable number that will also represent a good year. Maybe, but I think it matters what those five and four are. So say you scrape by and win five one score games and then lose to Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor and Oklahoma state by like 50. uh, Yeah. Well, okay. Like like four, four, like big losses in those games would be bad. But if you're competitive in those, you blow out Kansas. Say you blow out, I don't know, tech, Right. And then maybe, you know, at West Virginia's tough, Neil Brown's good coach, you know, all that. I mean, I, I that, that would mean that you beat Iowa State, which is an accomplishment. You beat the Climbing Cats, which is an accomplishment, it, home or away or whatever. And, and I, I think five and four, like, you can be happy with that number. Yeah. Matt, Matt, what do you think? What's the number this year for minimal acceptable progress from TCU? I'm, ex- I'm exposing my lack of pre- preparedness here. What, what was the record of Big 12 play last year? I forget. Who oh, God. It was uh, three, and six. three and six. Yeah, so five and four would be a, ser- a serious accomplishment. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I sincerely agree with that. Um, yeah, you know, to me, I, I think you – I think the overall record is important. I think – What's more important to me, I think five and four is a good number. I think that's a good place where you guys pegged it. But what I'll probably be watching more closely, again, if we manage to get through the whole schedule, which is not a given, but if you get through the whole schedule, I think the things that stand out to me more are kind of your benchmark games or, or your, your measuring stick games, as, as, as Gary would call them, in terms of when you're playing teams that, you know, stretch you. you know, so you're playing Oklahoma, you're playing Texas teams that, are, that are, you're running a little bit of a talent deficit against, how you perform in those games. Um, and then how you perform in the one score games, which is something that just they, I, the regression to the mean, the law of averages says that they have to play better in those games this year. Than they, they were one and six last year in one. Score that's games. just, that's, okay. that's unheard if, of. if you believe, if you believe that that one score games are entirely random. Uh, I, I, okay, Parker. A, there were one in six and one score games, nerd. No, no, okay, no. Like, but, but like, but like it wasn't were. random. It wasn't random that they like absolutely, oof, Almost said a bad word. I don't want to say a bad word. 
uh, laid an egg against SMU on multiple occasions. Like that's not a bad bounce. That's like, no, you had this opportunity and you screwed no, it up. No, 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 no. That's not they were bad. They were they were bad. But right. here's the thing: in the in despite being bad, they were in a one score game in the fourth quarter against seven teams, which is significant. And so then when you're in a one score game where things come down to three or four plays over the course of the whole game and all four of those plays go against you. That's reasonable to, to think that, that just you play that, simulate that game another 10 times. That doesn't have that, that that's unlikely to happen the majority of the time. And, and also that when it did happen, there were serious mistakes made, whether on the field or you know, in, in the booth or whoever you want to lay the blame to uh, that, that like, there were clear mistakes made that caused them to be one and six in those one score games. Okay. Right. And so like, can I read you, can I read you like TCU's post game win expectancy in all of those one score games? I don't, I don't feel like crying tonight, but I suppose you can S- go ahead. SMU yeah. 45% post game win expectancy, Kansas state 14%, uh, Oklahoma state 28%, Baylor 52%, Texas tech 22%. Uh, Oklahoma, 3%, and then West Virginia, 54%. So, like, I, I agree with you that, like, I don't think it'll be as bad just because of the bounces, but, like, also I think that is more indicative of, like, so, so I think a lot of people say, like, oh, well, they were in, in games in the fourth quarter, and I'm saying they had no business being in game. Like, they should have been winning those games decisively in the fourth quarter. So I'm, I'm saying they're, like, they fell down into one-score games in the fourth quarter instead of played up to one-score games in the fourth quarter. I would agree with you on the Oklahoma game um, for sure. Um, and probably the Kansas State game. I don't think they really had a, much business being in that game. But every other game, to me, I understand. I understand our post game win expectancy will work. So, I, so I'm not. I'm not knocking the stat at all. Right. Well, and it's um, just. An, it's just a number. There's. There's. Yeah. Pros and um, cons. Yeah, yeah. But to me, um, the like take Oklahoma State for instance. The offense was atrocious in that game, and and the quarterback management in that game was bad, and the cut play calling on offense in that game was bad. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I, I calculated it at some point, um, but Oklahoma State, what was it? I don't remember what their what their final point total in that game was, but I think all but one of their touchdowns and like like. I don't remember how many yards they had in that game, but it was, it was something like 350 out of like 500 yards or 350 out of like 400 yards. Some obscene number came on like six plays. Like it was like, like and so those six plays being, you know, just breakdowns by the defense um, uh, and like six, six big breakdowns by the defense is is worth noting, but it, it, it creates, I think a skewed idea of the way that game went because if you, Oh, you, you play 80 plays in a game and um, four touchdowns um, and 320 yards happen on four of them. Yeah. Um, then, then that create, then that's not true. That final score, that final yardage number is not indicative of the way that game actually went. Um, if, so, so that's kind of why I lean, I, I, I look back on it with those kind of games is, is that can you, um, can you limit your mistakes on defense, which they've got a senior group, right? they, they're going to have, they had a lot of experience on that side of the ball. Obviously they've got, um, uh, they've, they've got a ton of talent. And then offensively, can you just make it so you're not putting that defense in a difficult position right. all the time? Right. Um, and then I think a lot of those bounces go your way a little bit better. I think you're right, though. Certainly against Oklahoma, certainly against Kansas State, certainly against SMU. Um, they probably, you know, by the, by the merit of their play over the course of the whole game, didn't deserve to really be in it. Um, ironically, with SMU, you know, 
even despite that, if if, if Shewo doesn't fumble the ball at the goal line, um, if you got if Shewo doesn't take a snap on fourth down, right? Um, if one other thing goes differently, uh, one other one or two other plays go differently, then that's even with the poor play, that's a that's a win. You're going to a bowl game and and you you got the iron skill and just the the season feels super different. Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys just talk about for the last 30 seconds? I blacked out for a second when you said <laughs> Shayla. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's do, let, let's run down the schedule. Let's do, let's do some wins. I had more things to say, but all I'll say is Matt, it's very validating. I spent so much time and effort this off season trying to convince people that Chuba Hubbard did not own TCU. Like that it was literally just like very, very concentrated in various situations. So uh, validating to hear that. Okay. Let's run through the schedule and we're just going to put win or loss. You got some commentary, throw it at me. Um, but, uh, other, other than that, let's just, let's just see what's TCU going to do this year and I'll, I'll, I'll keep track of it for us. So, uh, we'll go, we'll go, uh, Matt Grant and then I'll give mine. Okay. So, okay. uh, Tennessee tech win, win. And as Mark Cohen noted, uh, the only other time Tennessee tech has been on TCU schedule, the frogs went undefeated and won the Rose bowl. So that and a, a, a quarter get you a cup of coffee. Uh, bad cup of coffee. Iowa state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say win there's two Iowa state, yeah. Matt. Uh, loss. I, yeah, screw it, win. <laughs> you are just a, you're just a gunslinger. Loss. Uh, senior, uh, good defense, senior quarterback, very bad offensive line. But uh, I think that the quarterback and defense combo kind of overrides that. Uh, at Texas. Uh, this one's really tough. Um, TCU's only lost in Austin once since joining the Big 12. But uh, this is the year when all of Texas's uh, talent is supposed to be of the of the right experience where they're supposed to make a run. Uh, I'm going to say loss. I'm not happy about this, but I'll say loss. I'm I'm pinning this up to a loss, especially early on. I think Herman this will this will still be able to he'll he'll be able to con- conjure up some of his like revenge mojo magic sort of thing. You know, like they can't play well in big games, they should win, but. I think he'll have enough of an underdog narrative to kind of fuel them going. So, so we're all in agreement of like really working on the reverse jinx on this game. That's good. So yes, yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kansas State at home, the revenge game. Uh, I'd say a win in there. Win. Uh, win. They return zero offensive line starts. Uh, Oklahoma on the twenty fourth after the bye week. Sorry, is that bad? Is zero offensive line <laughs> some, some say, and to be to be fair, Josh Revis played a bunch, but uh, and he'll be starting this year. But like literally zero of their starters come back, which is less than ideal, especially in a shortened season of off season and conditioning. So, um, yeah, uh, okay. So uh, bye week, uh, and then Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I think it's a loss. Uh, like we already talked about, I think they were they were lucky to be in the game last year um, uh, through a combination of a lot of weird weird bounces and and good fortune i i think they get i think they probably get run out of the building a little bit true or, true or false vernon scott got drafted by that strip sack oh a hundred percent that's it that's true. Well, exactly true. the well, film that got him on there. well no it was uh it was the pick six right because it was uh it was new, oh it was a strip Brad, sack. it was yeah. new bradford who had the yeah, strip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the, yeah which again like th- what did they have like three turnovers like inside the 30 it was very, very <laughs> ridiculous um, one of so the dumbest, yeah. college, dumbest college football games i've ever seen in my entire life and it was uh, so lost Loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Grant, what you got? Yeah, lost, lost, lost. for sure. For I think sure. I think I'm going lost there. I don't have a lot of hope there. Uh, okay, at Baylor. Um, I don't know. A generational superstar and uh, <laughs> Grant 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 McGalliard's favorite player of all time, Charlie Brewer. Um, but no, I think I, I 
I think that's a win for TCU. Noted, noted Greg Abbott consultant, Charlie Brewer is going <laughs> to uh, win that game for Baylor. I think I, I, it that pains feels like me. A, I, I, I do like feel a new story I don't know about and I don't want to know about. So. He, no, no, no. Abbott was talking about it. This is not political. Abbott was talking about how he uh, talked to you like a bunch of like athletes in Texas and Brewer was one of them. That's oh, okay. okay. Um, no, I, I, I think this game will be close, like unironically, but I do think Baylor wins. So loss. Uh, I think I'm saying this is a frustrating loss. I hate that. No, I'm saying win. Screw it. Uh, I think, oh, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll move my losses around because I, I think they'll win in Waco. They, they do that pretty consistently. Um, and then, you know, you just think about all the turnover on defense and how close it was last year. Plus Aranda's got Larry Fedora. Yeah. I could talk myself into that. Okay. Texas tech at home in Fort Worth. Uh, yeah. I like a win there. Great. Yeah. I like a win too. Here's my weird loss. Road team wins that game like every year. Also, I might be buying into the Alan Bowman hype. I don't know. He might actually get to play this year. So um, he, he would be good, and they have a lot of talent around him. They're bringing back a lot of offensive line. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of potential for them to be annoying. West Virginia in Morgantown. What is that game in November? It's going to be cold. I don't even know, man. They should have won this past year, but I think that was mm, – I don't know. I honestly don't know anything about what West Virginia's roster situation looks like heading into this season. Um, I'm going to say it's a loss. They, they have trouble in Morgantown except for in 2014. I'm going to say it's a win because that game was so weird last year, and I do think the play – like, this is complete emotion and not based on um, anything like hard numbers whatsoever but I do think a lot of the players that played in that game last year are really pissed about the way that they played and I think that uh, TCU will be a better team than they were last year so I do think they win that game okay so Grant has a win I have I have a loss here too uh really yeah I like I mean playing this is one I talked about last week I wanted them early Diggy's a good quarterback. Neil Brown really knows how to use roster. They're going to have a ferocious defensive line. I think that they're one of those get get the things rolling, get 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 things humming teams, and that's going to be real bad. Okay, uh, Kansas. Um, I like a win. I, I I think every TCU fan would like it if if when they beat Kansas, it would be like last year, or like in 2017, where it's just like put away early rather than like let's wait and see if someone can kick a game when field goal in the fourth quarter or not so. yeah not doing the normal manhattan thing would be would be nice there uh lawrence come on what did i say my manhattan, lawrence, manhattan. son of a gun <laughs> oh man we're gonna have a bunch of, we're gonna have a bunch of uh, Cat fans all, now. all six of the kansas fans are gonna come after <laughs> us for that uh, I, I will also say a win okay uh i'm gonna say win there too and then finally what feels like a, a showdown um Oklahoma State on December fifth. I have I have no logical basis for this, but I I I feel like this is a win. I, I have no real reason yeah. why. I I I think that uh, TCU's defense shows up in a big way in this game and plays better at home. Again, theoretically, if it actually gets played. Um, and um, yeah, give me give me TCU in this game. Why not? I would love to tell you. Uh, I I think it's going to be a loss, but. That's fine. I need to, Grant, Grant, I need to put a disclaimer on this. Uh, I have no idea what I have said. We have done this for every Big 12 team. Yeah, that's the other thing. Nobody (laughs) go back and look at those because these are not going to be consistent. These are all straight from the hip. I have no idea. We 
we've allocated like 200 wins and 10 losses across our Big 12 like schedule breakdowns. Like, Everyone's we, we going nine and one this season. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Grant, you say you say lost for Oklahoma State. I do. I do yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm saying win. I think I'm committing to Patterson's and Gundy's head. Ever since 2017, when Gundy as was as opposed like, to last year. Well. Last year, there was, again, we talked about this very specific, very specific yeah, uh-huh. reason they lost. Uh, thanks for ruining my opportunity to tell my favorite Gundy story uh, about saying, I don't know what anyone would do to stop our offense. And then TCU goes up there and drops the hammer on him, uh, which is a great, a great moment in TCU history. Okay, so let me total these up. Um, Matt has us at one, two, three, four, five, six. Matt is going uh, six and four on the season, which is five and four in the Big 12. Grant has TCU going one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, six Same and four, five and four in the Big Twelve. And Parker the pessimist has us going one, two, three, four. Parker has us going five and four overall, or five and five overall, which is four and five in the Big Twelve. Um, all of those would be an improvement over last year. So um, who who knows? Who's who's to say? Who could possibly say? I, I do think that record aside, I do think this will be a better TCU team than it was last year. I know that's a low bar. Uh, I know the offensive line has to be replaced, although Parker and I have talked about how um, sometimes, it, you know, you can do the whole experiences that equal talent type thing. I, I do think that they will show signs of life. Um, obviously, you've got to re- you know, replace the running backs and everything like that. But I, I think this will be a better TCU team than it was last year. I just don't know if the record will reflect that as much as we would like it to. Um, but I am, to borrow a phrase that Matt used earlier, one of my favorite phrases, cautiously optimistic about TCU this season. <laughs> I, am, I, I see what you're saying there. I, I'll, I'll make a disclaimer. My predictions are based on a, um, yeah, kind of a prediction for a, for a moderate improvement for the offense, which I think is reasonable to expect. Um, I think there is a universe that exists. So we're talking about alternate timelines. Maybe this is the one where, um, I, I, maybe this is the one where, uh, I don't even know which, which timeline from Avengers Endgame do I want to compare this to? I don't know. Maybe when Thor goes back and gets his hammer. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> um, I do think that there is a, there's a timeline, there's a universe that exists where this team, um, gets a whole lot better on offense and it, it that stems from Meacham being back and, and letting them be creative and, and be wide open and go fast on offense, getting JD Spielman and getting kind of a reliable um, go-to uh, receiver. Um, uh, and then you got all you got a ton of talent at running back and Max Duggan taking a step. I, I think it's, it's reasonable to think that you could make a significant step forward on offense and the defense is stacked. I mean, it's been mm-hmm. said a million times already, but Washington and Merrick is, is, is the, if, if you tune in to watch DC football for no other reason, I'm just going to watch um, Art Ayers Washington just like be everywhere on the field. Um, that's the thing is, is it, the, the way I found, the way I kind of decided that I really loved Art Ayers Washington was the fact that um, it's, it's a very Bill Simmons-y kind of rule, but just like, I love the guys who are just like, they're always around the ball. Yeah, and mm-hmm. him and him and uh, uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson are both that way, and that just like whenever they're in the screen on the TV, they're doing something good, 
And I think, mm -hmm. I think it's good to have players that do that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very simple rule. But if you heard it here, folks. Uh, you heard it here first. Good <laughs> players are good. No, yes, absolutely what you're saying. It's like, they're not just like passively in the frame, which I think a lot of defenders, especially at the college level, are like, you know, it's a very high school thing of like, oh, okay, I should generally be in this area. And Ardarius Washington is like a shark. Like he is going to an area with purpose to accomplish something, whether that is on ball or off ball. And, and I totally agree. When you see him, he's, he's like actively defending uh, even away from the ball. So I, I, totally, I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah, like I don't recall, I'm sure there was, but I don't recall a missed tackle by Ardarius Washington last year. Like if he, if he and, and that was with the fact that he's like half the size of some of the guys he's bringing down and he, yeah. was, and he was making, he, was, he always, he has great technique. He wraps up. He's, he's, he's very Paul Dawson-ish in that he, his ability to kind of understand where a play is going early on and then meet the ball before it has a chance to really get an open space. Um, so those things stand out to me. We also have managed to get how many minutes into this podcast without talking about the fact that maybe Marcel Brooks is going to be starting at linebacker. Yeah. Which is thing, um, yeah. If he can get that waiver. Um, so, and he's going to be uh, wearing number, number zero, which I'm like weirdly excited about uh, just to see a player wearing zero on, on a TCU defense. So um, I, I think just talent wise, again, if you can just like, if you can get any kind of pass rush, I think you're, I think you're looking at like a really, really good unit for TCU defense. Cause I think there's lots of reason for optimism um, at corner and at safety and at linebacker. Um, I think if you can just affect the passer to the, uh, on a significant, on a consistent basis, then maybe that's enough to even hide for some of the deficiencies the offense may or may not continue to have. Absolutely. And, uh, and if you want more on TCU's defense or offensive side of the ball, the last two weeks on the podcast, uh, Grant and I have gone through um, uh, position by position on both sides of the ball and kind of broken down some of those matchups and looked at what might happen there. Uh, important to note, uh, that was not you, Matt. That was you, the, uh, the listener. I feel like that'd be really weird to be like, hey, you should go listen to our podcast, <laughs> man. Listen to, uh, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, Matt, this has been great. And this is probably too long. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap there. This has been so fun. Enjoy talking football with you and, and breaking down the schedule. And I'm sure this is not uh, the last time we'll be uh, hearing, hearing from you. So um, you're online doing the Vigilante TCU uh, writing and covering at Matt A. Jennings, correct? That's right. On Twitter. Um, go find will me. you be, will you be, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Will you be doing your preseason preview again this year as you did? I hadn't year? done a, I had not. So two things happened. Um, I had a child. And so that was, that's one thing that nice. I, when last year, when, uh, you know, my, our baby was born in September. And so my wife was pregnant in the lead up to the season. And what happens when your wife is pregnant is that you, you get, you kind of sit at home and you hang out and you read and you watch TV. And that's really most of what you do a lot of the time. And so I had a lot of spare time to uh, really agonize over every word of that preview last year. And now that I have an 11 month old, that is not true. So, um, uh, so no, no preview this year. Um, I, uh, you know, we'll see kind of where, where things stand as the season goes on. If I've got, you know, I've, I've got lots of things that may just only get filtered through my Twitter account. We'll see how much I'm able to kind of, uh, uh, get myself down in front of the computer to write. Um, but uh, I, will, I will certainly be on Twitter to say snarky things for as long as, this, as the football season goes. And we'll just see what happens. Awesome. Awesome. We are definitely uh, looking forward to that. So make sure you go follow Matt. Uh, Grant is on Twitter as well. And you can always follow me 
uh, at Stats of War. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. We uh, appreciate you listeners. Um, make sure to give us a rate, a review, a follow, a subscribe, whatever those uh, buzzwords are. Just make sure that, you know, um, again, it's not for our vanity, but uh, we want to share the show with people who want to know about it. We want to make sure that anyone wants to know about the show can find it. So thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for liking. Thank you. Thanks for leaving reviews. Football's happening. So we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.